With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated International, J.P. McGrath and reporter Len Clark here. And well, not quite your storybook ending, was it, Len? Uh, for nearly two halves of football, the Marcus Freeman era could not have hoped for a better start. Jack Cohen putting in probably the best half of any Irish QB I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, Mayor and Tyree looking at the future of this offence and defence playing lights out. But the Irish give up a 75-yard touchdown with 39 seconds left of the half and Oklahoma State get the ball back to start the second and they never look back. 30 straight unanswered points and then fending off a late note and then come back to win the Fiesta Bowl. 37-35, 27 years and counting now, Len, since that last New Year's Six Bowl game. 0-10 since the Cotton Bowl victory over Texas A&M. Back in 1994, New Year, Sable Notre unfortunately. But Len, first off, Happy New Year to you, sir. Wish we were doing this podcast under completely different pretenses, but such is the life of a Notre Dame fan. How are you feeling this morning, Len? Well, Happy New Year, JP. Uh, kind of mixed in my feelings, but definitely a tale of two halves. Uh, a great first half, Notre Dame came out executing. They couldn't run the ball, so you know that if the passing game was shut down, it was going to be a big challenge for the fighting Irish. But that optimism turned into what I would call tragedy, a Greek tragedy. And Notre Dame, you know, came down to the final minutes, a chance to get that onside kick and then win it in dramatic fashion. But, you know, take nothing away from the players. They looked very tired out there. They could not execute on defense. And Oklahoma State made the adjustments in the game that led to those 30 unanswered points. And I know a lot of fans are really disappointed, but, you know, this is actually bringing the team back to reality. The honeymoon period for Marcus Freeman is over. He did something in the post-game press conference that I said when he got hired he would never do. He said that we need to coach better. So that's the only disappointment I have about that game tomorrow is the use of that term, we need to coach better, because I thought Notre Dame had a good plan going into the game. It was just the adjustments made by Oklahoma State. Take nothing away from them. They beat the Irish 37-35. Yeah, totally too hard. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Lennon. It's crazy, Jack Cohn, right, in a game where he's thrown the ball 68 times. I mean, if this is the Tommy Reese offense, <laughs> it looked like Mike Leach out there. Uh, 509 yards and five touchdowns, and yet 
he is the guy some Notre Dame fans, myself included, think maybe could have been a, a, a decider for, for that win. And look, the first half was, as I said, probably the best callback performance I've seen. His decision-making, his ball placement, his blitz recognition was just on a level we haven't seen before. We were texting being like, where has this guy been? Uh, but in the second half, Mike Gundy just, there was adjustments and he just couldn't get anything out there. Then. And it's an interesting stat where he shattered the pass attempts, I believe, for Notre Dame quarterback. 509 yards is the second most passing yards in a single game behind Joe Theismann against USC in 1970. And he eclipsed Brady Quinn uh, passing yards against Michigan State. But I think in all three games, Notre Dame have lost those three games. So, like you said, if you can't run the ball, which the Irish are really good at, and you're going to struggle to win uh, big games then. And, and unfortunately, that came to fruition last night. Well, a very entertaining Fiesta Bowl is Jack Cohn sets the Fiesta Bowl record for most yards passing, as you mentioned, 509 yards and nearly eclipsing Joe Steisman record, as you said, set back back in 1970. But, you know, Jack Cohn, I thought, did a great job. I know we were communicating through the game, you know, are we going to see a Tyler Buckner? Uh, we didn't because Tom Reese had a game plan and, you know, he's up in the box making those decisions. He sees more than we do and he thought it was going to be the passing game. We know that Tyler Buckner has struggled with passing, and if the run was being taken away from the Fighting Irish, I think it was the right call to stay with Jack Cohn. But disappointment, but more importantly, in talking to the players in the postgame press conference, is that this will make them a little bit more hungry. You know, they had a chance to grab that golden ring, and they just couldn't get it, the brass ring, and they just couldn't grab it. So, you know, that's something that's going to be on their minds. I know the biggest disappointment was – not winning the game for the seniors and the graduating players, which is kind of a disappointment. But JP, just really looking at the players in the postgame, especially J.D. Bertrand, he was spent. And when you looked at the Notre Dame defense at the end of the game, they were gassed. And that's something we have not seen since Matt Ballas instituted the, the strength and conditioning program. And it had me a little bit perplexed, but it was just the tempo offense that Notre Dame's defense could not counter. And, you know, the intangibles win the ball game. Maybe Notre Dame was a better team, but it was a better reaction by Oklahoma State that led them to that big comeback. Yeah, like you said, they looked gassed. The first half, they were awesome. Uh, lights out, holding the pokes to seven points. But it was that 75-yard um, touchdown drive to end the first half. And it's, that stuff just annoys me so much. They've been... It's a, it's, it's a factor we've seen in so many games this year, giving up points before halftime and letting teams back into the game. Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, UNC, all three teams scored late points. All Cincinnati went on to win the game. The other two, they were able to win in the end. And I think the defence, like you said, were gassing. You could see that with the tackling. I mean, the tackling problems were bad. Like, I thought we had left this back in week three with those Toledo and FSU games. They just couldn't tackle, couldn't, um, couldn't count the amount of missed tap tackles meant. Like you said, the tempo offense just got that D-line gassed. And in a game where Spencer Sanders threw four interceptions against Baylor, I mean, he throws 370 passing yards and four touchdowns and leads the game in rushing. And I think that was what was the annoying part defensively is that when I watched from Oklahoma State, they didn't do anything that they haven't done before. They dropped design run suspense to get him in rhythm and boom, first play of the game to QB draw. He never really looked back. Of course, they were aided by Jalen Warren coming back. They're running back. He helped with 82 yards on the ground, but it was really those receivers led. Two guys we mentioned, Tay Martin and Presley, and going for over 100 yards. Do you think this at all affects what Marcus Freeman's going to do with the, the with the with the defensive coordinator position? Of course, a lot of fans, myself included, thought Mike Elson should be, could be promoted. He seemed to have called the majority of the plays, and 
Unfortunately, he kind of got out coached. So I'm not sure what how much you think that's going to affect some positional changes in this offseason, Len. It'll be very interesting to say. I think Mike Elston will be with the program as far as defensive coordinator. I don't know. But in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some, some personnel changes. Uh, most notably, probably the offensive line and wide receivers coach. Um, there's some talk about a linebackers coach coming in. So, you know, everything's on the table right now, but that's Marcus Freeman's uh, decision to make. It's, and I think a lot of pressure is on him to make the right decision right now uh, because the honeymoon period is over. He's going to have to start making calculated decisions that are going to be uh, beneficial for the program, but also one that's not going to divide a, a fan base. And, just on social media, you saw yesterday, you know, how they've gone from that honeymoon period and then Marcus Freeman thrown underneath the bus by a few people saying that, you know, no head coaching experience. But, you know, in his first game, I thought it was uh, I thought it was well managed and well coached and a learning experience. It was just a better football program in the second half. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about it all season long, JP. This is a game of intangibles. I was really hoping that Notre Dame would win that coin toss to see if they would defer. You can see how that coin toss really benefited Oklahoma State. As you mentioned, they scored right at the end of the first half. They come out in the third quarter. They've got the ball. They've got momentum. They score. It's a new ball game. It changed the game. It completely changed, changed the, game. the game. It changed you, the game. You mentioned it, and you mentioned Notre Dame's record under Brian Kelly with with even when they've 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 won it, taking the ball first. Unfortunately, as Notre Dame with the home team, they didn't really get a chance. And Oklahoma State won the coin toss. I think, as you pointed out, I, I don't really listen to these sort of knee jerk reactions from fans on Twitter about Marcus Freeman. Like, listen, the, the guy came up against Mike Mike Gundy, a, a, a very experienced winning coach who coached his first game at Oklahoma State when Marcus Freeman was a, a sophomore at Ohio State. He's going to learn from this. I think what was clear for me, I usually, when I kind of review these games, I kind of break it up into positional offense and defense, but I have a whole thing here about Tyler Buckner because this was the, the biggest sort of point for me from this game. Marcus Freeman said in his press conference before the game that he had seen Tyler Buckner do things with the ball that he hadn't seen at the college level. And this is a guy who's been around Jack Cone all year, Desmond Ritter, um, even guys down at Purdue. And when I heard it, I thought, okay, that's a positive because for me, it didn't really feel like he had developed at all this year. I get it. It's his, it's his first year at uh, Notre Dame. He hasn't played in two years. He had an injury and COVID um, sort of ravaging the California region. He also changed his throw motion, but you kind of didn't see him come. He, But you but you had seen him come in all year to give this offense that shot in the arm uh, it needed when it looked dead under Jack Cohn at points. And whether it was his legs, mostly to open up the passing game, but also he did some with his arm. And he didn't come in for a single snap. Now, what this shows for me is that Brian Kelly was the one clearly yanking Jack Cohn out of these games. I think it was a, a, a pointed effort from, from Tommy Reese to keep him in. And secondly, either Marcus Freeman is, is lying about Buckner's development or he showed his inexperience as a first-time head coach. Now, he said in the press conference, listen, Jack Cohn in that first half probably swayed him into keeping him in there. And there's no point crying over spilt milk. What happened yesterday is done. But my worries now is you've, if you look towards next season and you look towards that opener in the shoe in Columbus against Ohio State, and you've got a guy like Tyler Buckner who's supposed to be the quarterback for the future, and you're going into the first game of the Marcus Freeman era off the back, first regular season game, I should say, off the back of this loss against this guy, a QB who hasn't started a game all year, against a Jim Knowles coach defense. Jim Knowles 
just left Oklahoma State. So he's going to come up against that exact same defense. That really worries me. Now, Ohio State in general scare me. Watching them in the, the Rose Bowl yesterday, Jackson Smith in, in Jigba against these corners. I mean, we'll go into detail about more that next year. But remember the reports about Keenan Slovis and Notre Dame reaching out to him. I genuinely think QB is a place where ND must try and get a guy in the portal again. I was I texted you guys kind of hoping they might entice Spencer Rattler, but I think that's a big worry for next year, Len. Well, that remains to be seen. So it shows you how important the offseason is in spring practice. And if they can get Tyler Buckner ready for that opener against Ohio State. But I'm not against going into the portal to find up a capable backup. But if you've recruited a Tyler Buckner, I think you need to hand over the keys. Jack Cohn, that was the game plan, you know, to win this game for the seniors and the outgoing players. And that was the best option right now. But it's a whole new area now. It's, it's, this is last season. Ball game is over. Notre Dame finishes 11 and two. I want to preface one thing is that, you know, Notre Dame did score on their opening drive. So even if they did defer, you know, it, it could have been a different type of a ball game, but no, you bring up some good points. And I think this is going to be the things that are going to have people talking about up until the spring game until kickoff of the 2022 football season is the quarterback position at Notre Dame. But I think Tyler Buckner is already in the system. He knows the system. He's got a relationship with Tom Reese. And I, I think you need to have him have the opportunity to, to make mistakes, if you will. And hopefully that will be done in the offseason. How about we end with some positives, Len? Because there were a lot of positives in that game. It feels all doom and gloom. But offensively, Lorenzo Styles in a wide receiver room, which could be depleted by next spring. He had a fantastic game. Eight catches, 136 yards and a touchdown and fingertips away from almost housing that one, which could have completely changed the game. Michael Mayer looking like the Mackey Award winner he is with two touchdowns. Still can't believe it. I mean, the, the broadcasting booth brought it up, how he wasn't the winner, I don't know. And Chris Sobery, uh, of course, it was tough to get the running game going, but his speed, he looks like RB1, at least in the receiving game. He went over 100 yards and so did Kevin Austin and maybe his last game in an ND shirt. I mean, Lorenzo Styles me is the biggest win, but those are all big things. All guys, all key contributors, maybe Kevin Austin will see, might not come back, but Mayer, Tyree, Styles, all looking great. Those are massive wins for next year, Len. And, and the positives for me, just the play of Isaiah Foskey, who was yeah. really a player who put it on his shoulders and you know got that fumble recovered and uh, got Notre Dame back in the ball game. But uh, what really impressed me was the, the young offensive line with the return of Blake Fisher. Oh, yeah. Really no mental mistakes, really no penalties they provided the protection to enable Jack Cohn to throw for 509 yards and so that's a positive that you take out of this game moving forward yeah and I think uh, Joe as well at the left tackle spot if you've got Fisher Joe that's your tackle duo for the next two three years how important is that especially against going up a team in the in the Oklahoma State Cowboys have the most sacks in America and uh, Fisher hasn't played in three months and he looked as good as ever you imagine Jared Patterson that might be his last game as he has off to the draft but he can still come back the inside, the interior offensive line is is, is a cause for question. Um, when we kind of break down this year and look onto next, you'll look at that. But I think the most important news of yesterday was not on the game. It was Notre Dame securing the um, uh, commitment of uh, Peyton Bowen, the safety out of Texas, now making Notre Dame have the number one recruiting class, according to, according to 247, in the nation. Now, listen, is that class going to stay at number one by next December? Probably not. But if you're around that number four and five range, guess what, Len? You're going to be one of the four or fifth best teams in the country. I look at Georgia, 
their number one recruiting classes in 2019 and 2020. They are now in a national championship. When you look at defensive back recruiting, which you've got to look at, that was probably the biggest area of weakness yesterday, but you've got some three-star dudes and, and your best corner is a converted receiver. But the 2023 class is kind of stacked at that position. Guys like Justin Rett out of Bishop Gorman, a powerhouse program at corner. Guys like Ian Schuler and, and Peyton Bowen. So that fills me with optimism because you get a, you get these uh, tra- um, these the, these transformative athletes that you need at the next level um, to be competing for national championships. And I think a secondary is is that is that area which probably hasn't been recruited as highly uh, other than Carl Hamilton, but that's a big win, Len, because if you look at the best teams in college football now, they recruit the best players and Notre Dame are definitely heading towards um, those sort of top three, top top four classes, which will ultimately mean they're one of the best three or four teams in the country. Definitely. Notre Dame is really preparing for the future. But I want to end on this note is that Notre Dame next year is going to be a different look team. It's no longer Brian Kelly's system. It's Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese and the defensive coordinator. They lose a lot. They're going to lose Jay Bramlett in the transfer portal. So they'll be bringing a new punter in. And then you lose Jonathan Doerr, field goal kicker. So you've got some, you know, key positions that are going to be replaced. But if you take a look at the recruiting that you talked about, is that you are bringing in caliber, high caliber athletes. So it will make a difference. So next year, I don't want to call it a rebuilding year. It's going to be a learning year. So I'm really looking forward to 2023 and the opening game in Dublin against Navy where this will really be the signature of Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame football program. So next year, really growing pains, if you will, but then you bring in a Tyler Buckner who is going to be in 2023, a couple of years experience. This is, that's what I'm looking for. So next year, Irish fans, it's going to be, in my opinion, a learning year, kind of tough in the win loss column, but the future definitely looks bright. And there we go. What a great year, Len. Uh, I think over 40 podcasts or something like that. A coaching change, uh, a bowl win, I'm sorry, a bowl loss, but uh, a crazy year for Notre Dame fans. I hope uh, fans out there have enjoyed it as much as we have my first year. Uh, Len, the, 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 the as ever encyclopedic knowledge of Notre Dame uh, joining me along the way. Uh, we'll kind of be back, I'm, I'm sure, uh, in, in the next few weeks to kind of give a final review to this year as we look on to next year. But a great year, Len. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, I wish you a happy new year. I wish all Irish fans all over the world a happy new year. From JP McGrath and Len Clark, go Irish! Podcast Network.